HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Well, well, welcome to Life is a Banquet with your hosts, me, Stefan Arkell. Uh. I was like, who is that? And then I remembered. It's hot Steve Urkel. It's hot, sophisticated Urkel. Which is just Steve Urkel without his glasses on and with normal pants of his normal waist. Right, because in the (laughs) 1980s and 90s, anybody with glasses was automatically unfuckable. But as soon as you take the glasses off, voila! Anyway, who are you? Um, Oh, I am... I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's hard to know. It is. I, first of all, I do put you on the spot each week. And secondly, these days, who are any of us really? Am I right, everyone? Yeah. I guess I could say that I'm Michelle Pfeiffer's character in the witches of Eastwick when she still has the glasses on or wait, (laughs) when she's Catwoman, when she wears the glasses in Catwoman before she turns into Catwoman. That's who I am. That's amazing. And that probably is the best example of what we're talking about (laughs) ever. First of all, Michelle Pfeiffer, the planet's most attractive human being Mm -hmm. is somehow made to look like this dowdy. If you're into skinny white ladies. Yes, exactly. If you like skinny white ladies with big mouths and big eyes, um, then she's your gal, but really very interesting and how they decided to make her look so disgusting and her large hanging clothing and her frizzy hair i think she still looked hot i just rewatched uh the mirror has two faces which is a truly truly terrible terrible movie um i don't know that movie what who who and what when oh you don't know this movie no i've heard of it but i really don't know much about it Barbara Streisand. Oh, and Jeff Bridges? Jeff Bridges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure Babs directed it. Right. Um, and the premise is that Jeff Bridges gets so distracted when he sleeps with, like, beautiful women that he decides to have put an ad out for a woman who he just wants to have a companionship marriage with, like a platonic marriage, because then he's like, he can have all the benefits without going crazy. And so he basically is like, give me you know, an ugly person. And so Barbara Streisand's sister, (laughs) Barbara Streisand's sister puts her up for it. And, you know, in this, she's like, Hey, you're ugly (laughs) movie. She's wearing like glasses. She's wearing like a ton of skirts and sweaters to make herself look 
ugly. And then, of course, they do get married. Spoilers alert for this movie, you guys. It came out 40,000 years ago um, and sucks. But um, (laughs) she... You know, she does marry him, even though she doesn't really think it's a good idea. But she's like, well, who else is going to marry me? Sure, um, no one. We all feel that. So um, so then, you know, naturally, she realizes things aren't going to work out. So she, like, leaves him. And, or she tries to seduce him, and he locks himself in the bathroom. She leaves him, you know, loses <laughs> weight, gets contacts, <laughs> dyes her hair blonde, shows back up. And all of a sudden, he's attracted to her, and he's pissed off. And so Ugh. then she leaves him. And then he realizes the error of his ways and he and her have a very, very long dance sequence in the street during the credits that made me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, I must say that I love, love, love Jeff Bridges. Yeah, but he's super annoying in it. Like he's not even like lovable in it. His voice is annoying. He does I just have a bit of an annoying tone to his voice. I mean, Lauren yeah. Bacall is in it, and I love her. Oh, and yeah. She actually is great in it because she's perfect. What um, can she do? Pierce Brosnan, star of Mrs. Doubtfire, is also in it. <laughs> Defamed star of Mrs. <laughs> Doubtfire that almost meets an untimely death due to a shrimp allergy. <laughs> Please reference the unpublished article that we wrote for Lenny Letter about... <laughs> Mrs. Fire for Father's Day, which we should really try to put somewhere. Nicole and I and our friend Jenny and our friend Sarah worked on an essay that we pitched to Lenny Letter like years ago, and it was supposed to be about Father's Day recipes. And for some reason, we decided to just detail the entire story of the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. And they were like, what is this trash? No, we, so I, we just, I decided we should do it from the perspective of the youngest daughter mm-hmm. with the slant that actually Robin Williams is severely mentally ill right which is now since kind of been done in other yes. ways but right we, it's did, like those we trailers. did it first, <laughs> we did it's like those trailers <laughs> with the scary music like when you do what about have you seen the one with what about Bob to like terrifying music no but what about Bob is kind of scary anyway a hundred percent as the daughter of a therapist, I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty right now here on this very podcast that if one of my mother's patients was to ever follow us on vacation, I would not go onto a sailboat with them. <laughs> right. It's like a comedy version of Cape Fear. It is. <laughs> it is. He might as well have been clinging to the bottom of the car. Cape Fear is probably the worst use of a fake accent I've ever heard in any movie ever. I don't know how Robert De Niro was ever allowed to act again after that movie. I don't remember him having an accent, but I do remember really liking that movie and the original and the Simpsons version. Of oh, Cape of course. Fear. When Sideshow Bob clings to the bottom <laughs> of the car. Um, that's an amazing one. But yeah, Robert De Niro's like, well, I almost saw the back and I'm here to kill your family. I'm a fucking prison. It's like, um, excuse me, sir. This is not good. What are you doing? Didn't you not practice? It's like he just tried for the first time on the first day of shooting oh my god well that just happens that's what happens when you get so famous nobody can say no to you anymore well i do declare i am here <laughs> to kill your family <laughs> <laughs> nick nolte and nick nolte is like i'm drunk it's really it's a wild time and juliet lewis is like i'm doing the time where i'm acting crazy in every movie it's great uh it is great so Speaking of movies, uh, I'm assuming you must have something to say about uh, your boyfriend, Ben Affleck. Yeah, my ex-boyfriend, Ben Affleck. 
who is now dating a slightly more famous person. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's some cu- there's a couple of updates. One was sent in to us. This is a tip sent in by a friend of the pod, Mike Sala. Oh my god, hot tip! We have a tip line, a Ben Affleck tip line now at the show. It's not really a hot tip. It's more like a hilarious meme. But Ben Affleck is wearing like some kind of rainbow pride shirt that says love is love and the the (laughs) caption said serious actor ben affleck like loves gay rights or something it was really (laughs) (laughs) oh that's really funny it would have been funny if he was wearing that shirt when he was crunching the fucking picture of anna de armas and or the cup cut out of her into the garbage (laughs) Well, he wasn't doing it himself. A servant was doing it. Oh, a servant crunched it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh well, that is a horse of a different color, but still very funny. Yes. Um, and then another thing that I read on the internet is that Jennifer Lopez was recently interviewed by Hoda Kotb mm. of the Today Show or whatever. Um. And she, so Jennifer was on there because she has a new single out or something. Mm-hmm. And oh, really? Hoda was like, oh, are you happy in your new relation? Because the photo, the paparazzi photographs make it seem like you are very happy. And Jennifer <laughs> Lopez was like, well, the song is out and I'm very happy that the song is out. Basically, just like completely oh. avoided the question. And then Hoda was like, do you know who you're talking to? Or no, she was like, you know who you're talking to, right? Like they're friends or whatever. Yeah. And Jennifer was like, yeah, you can call me. You have my number. <laughs> oh, ooh, wow, burn. Embarrassing for Hoda. You know, I saw Hoda copy, and I don't know if this is breaking some kind of confidentiality rule, <laughs> although I wasn't the doctor, but when I was going to get a mammogram, because I had thought I had a lump in my breast, which turned out to be fine, everyone. And she was there, and she has ter- had openly spoken about having terrible breast cancer. And it scared me to see her in the doctor's office, actually. Well, you have to um, get checkups every year i know but for some reason it's just because i was already so scared and then since she has had such a public you know experience with breast cancer i was like took it as a bad oh, and you weren't scared for hoda you were scared for yourself exactly no i don't i mean she's fine she's rich i have nothing so if i had breast cancer i would basically you know they would have be, to bury you in a pauper's grave <laughs> they would tell me to go die and throw me in a garbage bag into the hudson river with you sick woman um that that's America. Look, so now let's just make a very uh, simple transition. No, wait, done. there's more Ben Affleck. Oh, there's people. more. I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I thought I had to quickly move away after my awkward breast cancer story. Yeah. Let's take it back to the thing people want to hear about. Ben <laughs> Affleck. Ben Affleck. So this is probably not true. So don't get all excited. But okay. it says on the internet that Jennifer Aniston, I mean, Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> Love Hewitt. Whatever the fuck her name is, um, is house hunting with Ben Affleck. Now that mm-hmm. could just mean that he's coming with her mm-hmm. to like mansplain wainscoting to her or something. <laughs> um, he's like, you don't want to have a storm drain on the left side of the house because the, it's going to just run downhill. The implication is that they're house hunting together, which it seems a little fast to me, but they are like old. So I guess exactly when you're that elderly, it's you want to get it done with. There's no, they're staring into the void. So like they have to get this. Also, he's a severe alcoholic allegedly, and his liver is probably going to quit at any day. now. Uh, That is true. She needs to get in that will. Exactly. Yes. Um, 
She's a black widow. They can't wait for the <laughs> seven years common law marriage. They're going to have to get married ASAP. But I just thought it was funny because they're like, they're looking for a house together. And I was like, well, first of all, number one, why do celebrities move so much? I know that is such an interesting point. Why? Just because they can. It's so annoying to move no matter who you are. They move all, they're always moving. Well, they don't have to, it's not annoying for them to move. People do everything for them. I know, but still it's like, your home, if you like settle into a home, maybe like nowhere ever really feels like home for them. Well, that's the other thing. Cause I'm like, it just imagine like being single and having, you know, she has the twins or whatever. There's only two kids. Right. And you're in this like 60 room mansion. Like it just feels like, I mean, of course, many of the rooms will be filled with servants, but like, (laughs) (laughs) it just seems like lonely. Like I live currently in a three bedroom mansion and it's like, Oh, well, a little bit, it's a little bit too much house for just sure. me, you know? I mean, imagine how she must feel. But it still begs the question, why do they move around so much? Celebrities listening, please call into the tip line. Let us know why you can't stay in one place. Why are you so anxious to just get out and move around? We want to yeah. know. I remember also specifically the real Jennifer Aniston was on Ellen one time and she was making fun of Ellen because Ellen moves every year, <gasps> every single year. Why? She's a New Yorker who's poor like us. What on earth? Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. And that's why I'm going to take a sip of my drink, which is the Bukowski special. I am having a vodka and water with no ice. Are you serious? Yes. Why? I, because I had a, a bit of a hard day. I'm a. But why? <laughs> why? I don't. Why no ice? Uh, there was. Uh, none made I had to move a bunch of stuff out of my freezer oh your servants didn't make any my servants in the bottom quarters of my home had not prepared the ice and that's why I have sent them all to walk the plank yeah but well, yeah I have, I have one more thing to talk about before we move on to the our topic sure sure which is I went to St. Louis this weekend for my sister's surprise birthday party right and I just want to say Shannon love you very much but she already had I already had to request off work for her initial real birthday july 6th mm. then her friends are like we're throwing her a surprise party and i had to request off work for that because i work in the restaurant industry so if you do stuff on the weekends i'm basically losing money to attend totally and then um the <laughs> then she's also going to austin at the end of this month so she's having a full month of birthday celebration and i just think that's fine whatever wow. but i'm not bitter but i did go to st louis in an orange Jetta that I rented, which was very cute. It's very I mean, sexy. Orange is not very cute for me, but whatever. Well, it is your favorite color. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but so I was in, you know, the party was in someone's house in their backyard. So I spent the entire evening in the backyard. Wow. And it come to find out the next day, actually it took 48 hours for this show, but I have hundreds of mosquito bites on my ankles. Really? Hundreds of them. Maybe it they're flea bites. No, because my sister has the same thing. And I saw some mosquitoes. I was like, oh, they're kind of biting me. But like I put off on. Oh, how awful. Maybe you have the chicken pox on, ankle, on your ankles only. No, it's just. It's mosquitoes. I've never had this many mosquito bites. So I'm worried I have West Nile now. It looks, it Tears. also just like looks really bad. Like I have a crazy rash all over my ankle. And my sister was like, oh, the exact same thing happened to me. Oh and I was my like, Lord, really? So yeah, if you go to St. Louis. Cover yourself in bug spray. That's a great, that's a great tip. It's the gateway to the West. You got to cover yourself up. Um, I just got back from my own Midwestern vacation in which I don't know if you remember, but I saw you 
two times. You saw me two times, yeah. And it was so much fun. Um, I went all the way to Sheboygan, Wisconsin, where I visited former co-host of this podcast, Brett and Scott. Mm-hmm. And he showed me a real good time. We went to Schwartz's Supper Club. And folks, I got to say something about Wisconsin. It's my favorite state, aside from New York, of course. But Wisconsin is really like its own country. They have very specific traditions. They eat a lot of fried, delicious things. They like pickles, which I very much appreciate and respect. Um, there's a lot of vintage things and mid-century things. And I don't know. I would move there. Because Let's move there, but it's really cold in the winter. We could summer there. New York, you know, people say, like, it's cold in the winter. New York is cold in the winter. Plus, because the world is burning to a crisp, nowhere is going to be that cold in the winter pretty soon. I mean, by the time climate change forces migration, we'll all most likely be in a home or dead. But but I think that um, I could see myself living in Wisconsin because one of the things that I realized from my road trip is that I am planet Earth's last single person. (laughs) And I think it's because I live in New York and maybe I need to move to the Midwest. No, it's bad here. But um, plus everyone here is, well, I don't want to sound shallow. But um, the thing about Wisconsin is that it is colder than New York City. Like it's like if you were to move to Buffalo, that's it's Canada almost. Right, but the people are warmer. <laughs> I can't stand. <laughs> I can't stand just looking at myself in the mirror anymore. I need human contact. Yeah, I think what you should do is try to create like a lifetime movie scenario for yourself where you. Fish out a water story. You move to a small town in Wisconsin, and in like just like in the lifetime movie, there's like a couple of really hot dudes there that for some reason are single and unmarried, even though you're all in your forties. Exactly. And, um, then you guys form a love triangle, and there's probably you probably start to open your own cupcake business. I think is probably what you're gonna have to do. Sure. People like um, cupcakes. That's fine. I'll, I don't give a shit. I'll make a cupcake. I'll make dozens of cupcakes trouble with your business and like a high-powered New York friend will have to come in. I don't know. I mean, we'll have to work out the details. But This then- is the plot, 100%. Yeah. Actually, funny that you should mention this because my friend Alex, who I went to go visit in Wisconsin and Milwaukee, when I was visiting her last time in Italy, we watched a Lifetime movie about this exact thing. A single oh, yeah. woman who moved into a fixer-upper house. <laughs> and, of course, the hot carpenter became, started boning her. Yeah. Um, then there was some kind of, like, really not a big deal conflict. She freaked mm-hmm. out because she was like, I'm afraid to get close to anyone again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which no one says ever that is a, a, a non most, thing that happens most men that i meet do say that men often. say it but it's not it's not real you know that's a, yeah that's cool um, um i hate you go die no my sister loves lifetime christmas movies and so there's like a there's like a thing like an algorithm thing that just puts plots together for you or something like that so it's oh, like a woman moves back to her hometown where her high school sweetheart is still single but here's the thing you guys i can tell you this if you move back to your hometown in your 40s, there are no hot single dudes left. Mm, that's true. They could be divorced. With that, for me, is fine. But in Lifetime, they act as if these people have never even, or if they can't get divorced. They can be widowed. But they can't. They're always <laughs> widowed. They're always widowed in the Lifetime movies. <laughs> that was perfect. And yet so, so like eager to jump back at it. Like they're like, oh, I don't know if I can, but they will. It's like, th- there's no grieving really. 
Yeah. It's, it's absurd. And they're so hot. It's like, She's like sleeping with the enemy where Julia Roberts escapes her wealthy, abusive husband and then moves in right next door to an eligible hottie who happens to live in a huge house by himself and has no girlfriend. Not realistic. No. And this is the problem with life. And as much <laughs> as I love you movies, you are doing no service in being like you are. So quit it. Yeah. And, Stop Sleeping it. with the enemy, that classic rom-com. Yes. Stop setting unrealistic <laughs> expectations. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, before we start, I, since we're talking about movies, I just want to make one recommendation because I got through this epic road trip with three books that I really love. Uh, one of them is Mr. Know-It-All, the John Waters memoir, which I started listening to after um, my friend Amanda recommended it to me after listening to our John Waters episode. Thanks for uh, listening, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. So <laughs> it's so good. Um, I loved it. And then I listened to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the book, which I have to say for anyone who liked the movie uh, and likes movies in general, like is interested in film, really such a wonderful book to listen to because it's super informative and it has so much like film nerd shit in it. It's just like, if you're a film nerd, you're going to get really hard for this movie. Uh, this book. And then I just, as I told you yesterday, started listening to pictures at a revolution, which this is extremely inside baseball. But if you like this kind of stuff, it's about the five movies that were nominated for best picture in 1968, but it is so fucking fun and so full of film history. And so I just wanted to drop those wrecks before. Yeah. And in case you're wondering why they'd pick such a specific year it's because that movies like basically fundamentally changed the way movies were made right those movies did yeah and it talks a lot about the changing like of the mpaa rating system and the moves from colored or black and white and like uh the move away from like studio pictures but it's so cool because it talks about every single little facet of interesting filmmaking and uh it's very very cool so highly 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 recommend that book if you're into movies yeah and then tune into our movie podcast that we're gonna start someday and we'll talk more detail about this i really can't wait look folks if you want us to start a movie podcast and just stop talking about movies on this food podcast then please (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let us know because otherwise we're going to change the game here and hrn is going to have to become a movie network yeah haters the people who listen who hate listen to us mm-hmm. you guys now's your time to shine exactly all right well our topic this week because nicole and i went to one of the most fun old school places in indiana and we were talking about how much we love old school restaurants is old school restaurants yes old school restaurants although mine sort of took a different turn because my initial plan was to do St. Elmo, which is the oldest steakhouse in Indianapolis where we went. Um, which was fun and has very spicy cocktail sauce. Although if you're someone who likes spicy food and like, you know, horseradish and things like that, you may not think it's that spicy, it's which not I did spicy. not. Unless you're putting like a whole fistful of it in your mouth, which I could imagine some people doing. Um, yeah, I liked it. If you're like a tourist in Indiana for some reason. Um, the other, so this history of St. Elmo is pretty interesting, but also like not that interesting. So I just couldn't, I just wasn't that into telling the story. So then I decided to look up the history of the American Steakhouse. And that mm. is really actually interesting, but I got distracted because what I found in my research, my research, mm. is this amazing long review by Ruth Reichel, 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 Reichel. Um, from 1994, where she reviews, in her opinion, every steakhouse in New York. But 
not all not all same classes are included and i had to skip some because otherwise this would take 375 hours um, i love this but so to much. start off with uh she does actually give us a brief little steakhouse history okay, which great. i will cover i'm so excited for this this is my favorite thing to think about talk about eat about um i can't wait okay so everything is basically ripped from this new york times article by ruth none of this is my own original i am a copycat and who cares who cares um so ruth starts out by saying that um if you are a new yorker steak is in your blood which is something that i actually had never really thought about but it is true like the first steakhouse the first like american steakhouse was in new york and People really love to eat steak there. I mean, I'm just like not a steak person, so that's probably why it never really occurred to me. Um, but yeah. Ruth, this bitch fucking loves steak, and I'm worried about her cholesterol because the way she talks about <laughs> eating steak <laughs> in 1994 when the health nut craze is going on, I'm totally just like, low Ruth. fat. She was rallying against it. I like steak. Like I like a good steak, like a couple bites of it, but I am not someone that can sit and eat a lot. Like I'm a three bites of steak. I want to go to Keens, get the porterhouse, and split it a bunch uh, with a bunch of people. Yeah, I am the same way, but, and I and honestly, like I could just go to Keens and not even eat a piece of steak. Yeah, I'm TBH. mostly in it for the sides. Um, so the original way that basically the way that people used to eat meat, the reason that we started steakhouses is essentially because there was something called a beef steak, which is according to Ruth, not an institution, but an event. It began in the beginning, in the middle of the 19th century. And essentially it was just where a bunch of dudes would gather in large halls and with no knives, forks, or napkins, eat massive amounts of meat and wash it down with pitchers of beer. Mm. So it's like, it's not like the fucking medieval times yeah. before they even had forks invented. These people just like, were like, no, I'm going <laughs> to eat steak with my hands and just become disgustingly covered with meat. And also it's not like they wash their clothes that often back then. So like, it's probably like their suits are just like covered in beef. It's like, I just picture those, those, uh, political cartoons with the fat politician. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like at Tammany hall, they're all just like covered in steak juice. Although I will say, I read something recently about how political cartoons are actually fat. You know, they, they use fat as a negative. Um, and that's, pretty fucked up so sure keep that in mind folks um so yeah pictures of beer massive pieces of steak with no knives amazing or wow <laughs> napkins napkins were available or just ties no napkins wow according to ruth huh. um but things changed when and this was like a usually like a political gathering for the most part there's all, right. all these politicians doing this uh, Tammany Hall is exactly right. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, things changed when women could vote and politicians thought it would be nice to have ladies come around to these sorts of situations. Um, and a quote from someone who was telling the history of this beefsteak that Ruth quoted, but I didn't write his name now because I'm bad at my job. Um, but he said, women do not esteem a glutton. 
and he's being snarky. He's like, women shouldn't come. Not like uh, women are in the right. Because of course it was in the 30s. Of course. Or the 20s. Uh, but he's like, women do not esteem a glutton. And at an ordinary beefsteak, it's not unusual for a man to do away with six pounds of meat and 30 <gasps> glasses of beer. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> six pounds of beef only? No meat. cream spinach? No, no rolls? Just no rolls. <laughs> no, these bitches are just eating meat. There's that's nothing a, that's else. A hot beef injection. That's where it started. That There's is a hot beef else. injection. That's too much beef. Where's the Six. beef in all these gross people's stomachs? That's where. Well, that's why. Now we know that why they died when they're like 28. I mean, what the yeah. fuck, you guys? And 30 <laughs> glasses of beer, but beer—the kind of beer they were drinking—was probably low alcohol, but still. Even still, I can't drink 30 glasses of anything. I'm trying to drink water so I don't look so old and decrepit and I can get down like, you know, the recommended eight and no more than that. <laughs> One glass per week. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I don't like to pee. Um, yeah, it's boring to go to the bathroom, especially if you have your shirt tucked in and you have to <laughs> untuck it and then re-tuck it back in and you have tight pants on. You know what I'm talking about, ladies. It's boring going to the bathroom. <laughs> it, it is. is. It's, it really it is. is boring. It's a very big waste of time. Let's stop doing it right now. I will. Um, <laughs> so Ruth is not interested in going into any detail about this. So she just says, soon after this time, <laughs> shrimp cocktail arrived and then potatoes. Yada, and, yada, eventually, yada. and eventually the modern steakhouse menu evolved. I do encourage you if you're interested to just like look up the history of the beefsteak though it's it's pretty interesting it's amazing disgusting. so cool and um, gross and horrible so the modern steakhouse evolved probably around the same time that prohibition ended i would assume this is me just assuming ruth didn't mention that at all but mm. i think it makes sense um and beefsteaks fell out of favor um people say that after the fall of tammany hall a political organization that controlled new york and who boss tweed mm. used to be really corrupt super, uh, super after the fall of tammany hall this beefsteak was never the same so mm. that's the very very brief history of the beefsteak and how it and sort of vaguely how it turned into the american steakhouse but really there's no information there uh then ruth moves on to you know she had a word limit she had to move on to reviewing all of the fucking steakhouses in new york in 1994 so oh she starts off with the palm which is do you know the poem? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Okay. There's a couple now, but the original poem I've been to back in the day, and it is, it's pretty luxe, but not my fave. She, so she loves the steak at the Palm, and for everyone else's interesting information, the, the Palm was founded in 1926 in Midtown East. They closed the actual original space in 2015. There are now Palms all over the country um, but it's kind of split up amongst families and it's, there's a lot of fighting. But the original location where, where Ruth was at for this review is closed. Mm. Um, and the Palm 2, which was across the street, also closed. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm sorry to tell you. R.I.P. Imagine I needed to be consoled. We had to stop recording. <laughs> uh, she says that she loves a steak at the Palm because it's consistent. And what she does say in her reviews is that she finds that uh, in most steakhouses, that is not the case. You can't get consistency. Um, so she loves the Palm because it's consistent. But the best steak she's ever had in her entire life was at Pietro's. I don't know Pietro's. So Pietro's is it in the theater district? 
Yeah. It okay. opened in 19, it. it opened in 1932 on 3rd Ave and 45th. A lot of these are in that area. Um, right. So and I, the original had an open kitchen, but they moved to 43rd Street in the 80s, and Ruth says that they completely lost all personality when they moved to that location. Um, she also says that when she's at Pietro's, she orders a Caesar because it's the only place that uses eggs, garlic, and real anchovies. I guess in 1994, it's hard to get a legit Caesar salad. Right. Um, I thought it was funny, though. I think that place is kind of, like, Italian-ish, I think, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, true. Kind of sounds Italian. Yeah, sure. I don't know. It's Italian. I'm not prude. My husband's Italian. Um, <laughs> Ruth also, moving on, Ruth loves Peter Luger, and it's her Bamantis. I know, but let me let me try to explain Go ahead. It's her Bamantis. So... She says that Ruth, that Peter Luger has the number one best shrimp cocktail she's ever had in her life. Okay. I've never had the shrimp cocktail there, so. I haven't either. I don't know. Oh, also, quickly, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, Ruth, or Peter Luger, Ruth Luger. <laughs> Peter Luger <laughs> sort of kind of started in 1887 in Williamsburg as Carl Luger's Cafe Billiards and Bowling Alley. It fell into disrepair. Another dude bought it, but it has been continuously operating essentially since 1887, which is pretty tight. It is. Um, is. There's a certain cool thing about Peter Luger's for sure. I love an old school restaurant. I just didn't like, it didn't speak to me in the way that like I want an old school restaurant to speak to. So Ruth loves, so that's, it's her Bamantis because she said she just loves the, the atmosphere. She loves going in there. She loves that there's no menu. She loves all that bullshit. Um, she also says that Peter Luger has meat so good. It is the reason that some people, wait, it's, it's some people's only reason to visit America is the steak at Peter Luger. That's absurd. And, um, and also rude to all kinds of people who are like refugees and like trying to like come to America for a better life. She's just like, no, it's the only reason is for the steak of $175 steak at Peter Luger. Well, she says it's some people's only reason to visit America. God, God. She's saying some people come here just to go to Peter Luger. Sure, 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 sure. Um, Those people are stupid. But it was the 90s when it was okay to just, like, talk shit about anyone that you wanted to. Right. Um, She does speak very candidly about how all the other food is disgusting there. So she says that the spinach is slippery, the tomatoes are cottony, uh, the potatoes are greasy. Wow. And Rude. So I sort of thought that Peter Luger... I've only been there once or twice and I've always had the greasy potatoes and the slippery spinach. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, I've never had the burger there, which many, many of my friends really do like. Yes. Um, but it's only available at lunch. I've never been there to have the burger either. I've been there one time to have like a full proper dinner and I was not impressed. And to be honest, I don't like when people are rude to me. I also don't like it. When you have to spend, you know, $400 on your dinner and you have to pay cash because yeah. it's cash only. It's the whole thing. Um, but so I thought, it, you know, Peter Luger has just like fallen off because it's been around since 1887. But I found this review um, in the New York Times by someone else in 1985. Whoa. Where they basically say the exact same shit. They're like, the atmosphere great, steak good, everything else disgusting. Yeah. So they've just always had shitty sides. And I find that to be, like, annoying. Like, I don't... Yeah. He said that another table... He saw another table eating the shrimp cocktail, and he asked the waiter why they hadn't been offered the shrimp cocktail, and the waiter said, I didn't want to confuse you. (gasps) (laughs) What? 
Classic New York shitty service. Shitty. Not cool. Not not into that. Life's too short to get like harassed and belittled at dinner while you're, you know what I mean? If I, I don't know. If yeah. I want that kind of treatment, I'll go to a dominatrix. Exactly. Um, okay, moving on. Her next date place that she reviews is Gallier's. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Yep. Gallier's has a pretty fun story. They opened as a speakeasy in 1927 on 52nd Street. And it was opened by a Zigfield girl named oh. Helen Gallagher. Hey, um, she. I got my lady. Heck up. Yeah, I'm the and, WB uh, frog. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that reminder. Um, so Helen Gallagher was married to uh, Gallagher, the Canadian. <laughs> another guy who was a vaudeville guy. I can't remember his name. Peter Gallagher, Sarah BOC, I think. Um, Eyebrows that could walk for miles. <laughs> she was married to a vaudeville guy. She's a Zinkfield girl. But she opened the restaurant with a different dude. Her partner was Jack Solomon, described as simply a gambler. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is described, he was described as a gambler by the restaurant's own website, just so you guys know. Um, so then in 1929... Helen's vaudeville husband dies and she marries her partner, Jack, the gambler, which I think is pretty Kenny Rogers. Cool. Um, and then, so they were a speakeasy, but then in 1933 prohibition ended and they opened Broadway's very own first steakhouse, Oh, which I think is pretty cute. Very cute. Okay. So Ruth says that the waiters at Gallagher's are just too nice like it makes you feel like awkward because she she actually wants to be a little rough handled i guess which is why she loves peter Lever. um and uh the thing that gallagher's is famous for is the visible meat fridge so they keep all of their meat in a refrigerator like a big you know walk-in thing and it has windows so when you're sitting in the dining room you can actually see the meat in there you can see it from the window on the street too when you're walking by um and so according to ruth Despite the fact that the waiters are so nice, the visible meat fridge lets you know that this is the real thing. <laughs> um, she also says she likes that you can pick your own steak. And she Ruth says, order a sirloin. And if it's not very good, just order another one because that's what she did last time and it's fine. Wow. Um, here, this is where I'm interested. She says that they have fabulous steak fries and terrific onion rings. So I am interested in Gallagher's for this reason only. Oh, really? That sounds great. I love an, an old onion ring. Yeah, I just can't imagine, like, going to 52nd Street. For no, just for an onion ring? I mean, <laughs> life's too short. Um, okay, so moving on. The next restaurant that she talks about is Sparks Steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? hmm So the original was on East 18th Street, opened in 1966. So not as old as some of these places, but still pretty old. Yeah. Um, in 1977, they moved to 46th and 3rd. And they claim, according to Ruth to have their own secret aging process. She suspects that it is a combination of wet and dry, but Ooh. very little dry aging. Ruth in 94 was all about the dry age, which I think is pretty interesting because, you know, I don't remember any hearing about dry aging until like 2014. Sure. Um, but go Ruth. She likes the little funk that you get on that. Uh, I, I also just, I'm glad that you picked this because I really do love Ruth Reichel and I love her writing. Yeah. Um, so she's, I have a quote from here. Um, she's not super into the sparks wet and dry, but here she says, take a bite of sparks, excellent meat, which has a moist, almost damp texture and a clean, straightforward 
flavor that you won't find anywhere else. Damn. She's like, you know what? That's for some people, but I want more dry aging. So it's not her fave. She wants it to be drier, denser, and more charred. But she still eats there all the time, she says. Wow. She's and just like she, constantly sending it back, like the the loyal regular who is always complaining. Of which I, I think know this many bitch must people. eat steak like once a week. Um, yeah. So she still eats there all the time, and she adores the wine list, which apparently is they're famous for it. Um, she also likes this little flourish, which I also kind of think is cute, is that they change the tablecloth before dessert. Oh, so they'll take off your whole tablecloth and give you a brand new one before dessert comes yep. out. That's great because who wants to be eating dessert with like a bunch of bloody meat juice and like ketchup on your table? And a- yeah. A1 sauce. Yeah. And like asparagus spears. Exactly. Um, <laughs> if they're in season. The next place that Ruth talks about is Smith and Walensky. Mm, I love Smith and Walensky. I have never been there. It's great. Uh, but they opened in 77. So they're their youngest of the bunch here. Uh, they're on third Avenue 49th street. According to Ruth, these guys have the, her second best shrimp cocktail she's ever had. Number wow. one is Peter Luger. Just so you remember. Okay. Um, the problem with Smith and for her is that it has a corporate feel. The food, it's like a food factory filled with tourists and she's annoyed by the wine list, which she says, and I quote, was put together with a lot of money and very little imagination. It is very corporate and it is very like American psycho in there, but there's something that I love about it. It's just very like, I don't know. It's a cold kind of place. Like it, I imagine it as like what it would feel like to be in Chicago at a steakhouse. I've never been that's to fair. Chicago, but that's what I think of it. It's very Gotham. Like, you know, in Batman and the Go- and Batman movies, like Gotham, the like kind of hybrid of Chicago and New York. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like. Interesting. Yeah. Um, there's also in 94, which probably isn't true anymore, although who the hell knows. She said, if the waiter pushes something called a chocolate basket on you and he will, please pass. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to try my chocolate basket. <laughs> um, okay, so the next ones I don't have a ton of information on because they are all closed. Okay. But the next one is called Christ Cella. Never heard of it. It's Christ as in our Lord, mm. C-E-L-L. A. The original Coachella, but featuring um, Christ only and steak. It operated from the 30s to the 80s. Ruth went in, or it, it must have been through the 90s because she goes there in 94. But um, she complains about the prices. So she's not a fan. There's no menu. And she says the reason there's no menu is because if it, there was a menu, you would lose your appetite because the prices are so high. So Uh-oh. in 1994, the shrimp cocktail there was $19. <gasps> That's like $70 in today's money. The hash browns are $9.75, which sounds you know reasonable now, but in 1994, the asparagus was $12.50. Wow. And the spinach was also $9.75. I think that's hilarious. I also found um, a review, the same review that talked about Peter Luger in the 85 also mentioned this place. And they also said that it's like an old steakhouse where the food really sucks. And the only people that are in there are people that have just been going there for so long and now they're so old they can't taste anything. Does she not talk about Keens at all? No, she doesn't. But I'll talk about that in a minute, okay? Oh, okay. Great. Spoiler alert. Whoa. <laughs> um, then she talks about Post House, which is, that is Chelsea? was on the Upper East Side, oh, 63rd. Okay. It's now closed. I'm she gonna... describes it as a polite Upper East Side steakhouse. You need an Ivy League degree even to enter. This service seems deliberately slow, which really annoyed her. 
Sure. Um, and she was also pissed off that they ordered a medium rare and a black and blue steak, and there was no visible difference between the two cooking styles. However, they have excellent hash browns. Oh, well, hey. But they don't anymore because they're closed. R.I.P. And the the final place, uh, I skipped some on here if you guys come across the article. It's really thorough. Um, But she talks about Frank's. Are you familiar with Frank's? No, I mean, I know a couple of other places called Frank's, but not Frank's Steakhouse. Yeah, so they um, closed in 2007, so they've been gone for a long time. So I couldn't even figure out exactly where they had been located. Okay. They opened in 1912. Um... She just, that's kind of like where it seems like she spends a lot of her time. She loves Frank's and she loves the palm and she just thinks everything there is great. She never gets dessert at these places, which is fine. Um, finally, yes, I was surprised that she didn't mention Keen's. So I went back to look and see if she just had mentioned it in a separate article, but Ruth Rachel has never reviewed Keen's <gasps> as far as I can tell. Um, and there's very little mention of Keynes in the New York Times, period. Mm, maybe there's um, a food. But there, Frank Bruni wrote a review in 2005 in the New York Times. But what's funny is I, I have a subscription to the New York Times, the failing New York Times. The failing and, New York um, Times, of course. So basically, I'm not logged in on my computer. So I found the article by Frank Bruni. Couldn't log in on my computer because I can't remember my password, right? Mm-hmm. I go to my New York Times app where I am always logged in. And I searched the exact same article, and I can't find it. So I think it's a conspiracy. Amazing. Well, I'm going to give my own review for Keens and saying that Keens is one of my favorite restaurants in all of New York City. It's pure class. It's super fun. And it's very warm and nice, and the service is nice. And um, even if you just are in the area, you know, when you're normally hanging out on 38th Street and 5th <laughs> <laughs> um, just pop in there. If you pop in early, you can go sit at the bar and like, um, they'll give you crudite. If you guess the trivia questions they have of the day, they give you a free drink. It's just like, yeah, also it's nice fun to go during lunch and see the, like the dudes who go in there for martini lunches. Absolutely. And, and they are the same people every day. Cause an ex-boyfriend of mine actually used to bartend there. And apparently it's the same exact people who go in for lunch every day. Yeah. Great place. And I don't even like steak, but they have a good burger too. They I will a- say a word of warning. If you get the Mrs. Keens, which of course is a bad name for a little skinny burger, basically, yeah, um, or whatever it's called, it's, it's like called the, the Mrs. Keen burger, the, the chick burger. Yeah, it comes with like shoestring fries, but they're not fries; they're like potato chips. And I was so upset when I found this out, and I still haven't recovered. And this was like three years ago during it, Angela's birthday party. It is very upsetting. Always ask for the crudite because they'll give you fruit crudite at the bar, but you have to ask for it, and it's like. The best crudite platter in all of New York City. It's free? I didn't know that. I've never had that there. You can ask for it at the bar, and they give it to you at dinner when you sit down at your table. Um, And I think the real star of the show at Keen's, and many people know this already, though, is the mutton chop. I think it's far superior to any of their steaks. Um, And maybe that's why Ruth didn't review them. Yeah, I mean, they have, again if you want like if you're listening to this and you're from out of town like and you want if someone was to ask me i have three nights in new york city what should i do where should i go one of my recommendations would be to have dinner at keen's for sure 100 percent, or at least have a drink at the bar and crudite and then go to like chinatown and have dinner but keen's is a wonderful place it's a great vibe it's super historic and it's one of those places also where like every seat in the house is a good seat 
they've also been operating continuously since like the 1800s. Yeah. They closed down briefly in 1979. Yeah. But they've opened back up. It's like the oldest restaurant in New York. And they even do their own, they have like a whole floor because they own that whole building. They have a floor where they like do their own laundry there. There's like a laundry facility in Keynes. Like they don't That's send their cool. laundry away, which is just fucking mind blowing to me. In New York, yeah. Here in Indiana, though, we do our own laundry. You laundry your own linens. Interesting. Well, I loved that story, and I can't wait to hear more about, uh, what is it, the beefsteaks? Yeah, the beefsteaks. I'm going to go ahead and look that up, and uh, I might even beefsteak myself one of these days, because (laughs) who cares? No one's watching. And that's one of the pleasantries of being single is to eat. Beef steak like no one is watching. And eat steak with your feet like no one is watching. Um, All right, guys. Well, let's take a quick break, and we will be back with the next part of this titillating episode. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look we also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before hrn is the original food podcast network and as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history i want to ask you to invest in hrn for the long haul if you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet become a monthly sustaining member today Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic, and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of five or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So that commercial break was actually a huge tease because this is going to be a two-part episode and maybe even four parts because I have a lot more to say on the topic of old school restaurants and fun. It could be, you know, a 10 part series. <sighs> sure. Who's nobody's listening and nobody cares. You know, if we do one steakhouse for every state, it could be a 50 part series. <laughs> oh my God. A 50 part series on steaks, which we don't that even means- like <laughs> for a whole year. We're going to be talking about steak. Our least favorite food it's like that movie live laugh love oh eat pray love (laughs) (laughs) in which she spent an entire year soul searching and traveling but instead two people who don't really like steak talk about it for an entire year but doesn't that make us 
more of an expert, Zara? It kind of does. I will tell you one thing about steak that I fucking love is <laughs> motherfucking A1 sauce. It is so oh, yeah. delicious. Oh, also, so we got the steak at St. Elmo, which was, what was it called? I don't it came know, with a rubber boot. It was not very good. But, the, but it came with hollandaise and lobster. It came with hollandaise and crab and some and crab. Out of That's season there, I guess. It was fine. Um, but I just think whatever it's called. Oh, so it was I told Oscar a, style. Oscar. Because I told a bunch of people that I had gone there. And I was like, we got the steak with like the crab. And they're like, Oscar. everyone knew that it was Oscar style. Sure, which sure. I thought was pretty funny. It's a thing. We did that at Brucey one year when we did like an old school steakhouse, kind of 60s steakhouse menu for New Year's Eve. Um, I think I worked there because you had oysters Rockefeller, right? Yeah, we did. And we did yeah. the steaks Haji style because, with crab meat and something else. It wasn't asparagus, but for our friend Haji who worked there. That was a fun night. It was a fun night. How about But anyway, folks, this is a cliffhanger. Um, mm-hmm. Who was in that movie cliffhanger? Sylvester Stallone? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, go ahead and watch that. And by the time you're done, it'll be next week. And we will have part duh of this steak episode. Yeah. Hasta la pasta. Bye. Hey, guys. Uh, Zara and I love bringing you random pieces of information each week on the HRN community. And basically what that means is we're not doing this just from the comfort of our own. And we are doing this from the comfort of our own homes. But we're not doing any of the work to make this come out to you. HRN is actually supporting us, putting us on the air, giving us engineers to fix all of our mistakes. And so they actually are listener supported. And so we're asking if you feel you can spare it. Um, They are asking for people. They're doing a drive for membership. If you could spare even $1 each month to keep our show on the air, that would be really great for us because otherwise I don't know what we would do with our Tuesday evenings. Um, Absolutely. And there's only so many uh, episodes of Murder, She Wrote that we can possibly rewatch. Nicole, I'm going to take it from here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've done a great job. And I just want to reiterate your sentiments that we love bringing you the rip from the headlines content. We love talking to you about the history of corn and also why John Waters is relevant in food culture. And we can't do that without your precious dollars. So please... <laughs> If you care, give us your money. Show us the money. That is a Jerry Maguire reference. Mm -hmm. Um, So you guys can go ahead over to uh, heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and become a member. And you can specifically donate to this show. And we'd appreciate that. And we love you. And HRN loves you. And this is an important community because it really is bringing some really necessary stories from the food world um to you um and each week when we bring you our blazing lava hot ben affleck content you know there's people who are working hard to make that happen and make that possible and we need to help them help you help me help you that's jerry Maguire reference number two so i just think think of it this way i would yeah, say go ahead, Nicole. if you don't donate to us Ben Affleck will stop being famous because we're the only people that are speaking about him and we need to keep him in the news. Okay? Exactly. Okay. So head over again, heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member and please support uh, Heritage Radio Network and its quest to bring you all things food. Um, and we love you so much. And of course, as always, Lassa La Pasa.
Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.